There are people who are supposed to be world-leading experts on psychological theory and whatever it is they're researching. And on top of that, on top of that immensely time-consuming and intellectual pursuit, they are also supposed to be expert statisticians, world-leading statisticians, up on all the current methods, able to implement them and understand them and know when they're making sensible decisions. And I, th I think that that's a huge problem. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. And we are joined with by a very with a very special guest, Andy Field, professor of psychology at the University of Sussex. But you probably know him as the author of the Discovering Statistics using SBSS, R, and SAS. Thanks for joining us on the show, Andy. No worries. Good to be here. I think I remember um, uh, I, I shared an office with James. That, that's how I met this guy. I didn't just meet him over the internet and start talking to him randomly. We um, we shared an office back during our PhD. And I, I think I threw your book at him, both, both figuratively and literally, whenever he bugged me with statistics. So uh, we... Uh, that's, a, that's a minor exaggeration. You, I, I can only remember you hitting me with the book one time. <laughs> you may have happened more than once, but the book, the book was definitely there and it was involved in interpersonal violence. I can confirm both of these. To be fair, that is pretty much the best use for it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell your publisher. <laughs> well, well I, I, have to, I have to say myself, um, I, I pretty much... Um, re-taught re myself statistics using your book Andy um, during my PhD and then uh, during my postdoc when I was learning R I re-taught myself I taught myself R using the the R version of your book as well um, so, so, so essentially it's a, I'm, re I'm responsible for all of the errors in your knowledge exactly so any yeah. errors statistically in my yeah, papers I can just refer them to you <laughs> but um and uh, more recently you, you published a book um an adventure in statistics which could be considered a more unconventional approach to how to do a statistics textbook so what's the story behind this book um it it's essentially a massive vanity project where um nice i had well, if, if you've used like the SPSS and R book, you'll, you'll know that a lot of the chapters are bookended with little stories, uh, basic yeah, anecdotes from my life that I loosely try to uh, fit the theme of the chapter, which is quite, quite difficult. It's very tenuous most mm. of the time. And when I originally did that, which I think was the third edition of the SPSS book, I was on sabbatical and I was thinking, I want to do something different and, you know, I'd thought the second edition was a bit rubbish and I wanted to kind of, you know, jazz it up a bit. And I had this idea of like, wouldn't it be great to have a story running through the book? But essentially I didn't have a story and I didn't have enough time to do it. So the story ended up being the only one I had, which was my existence. <laughs> and, you know, fast forward eight years into the future, um, essentially an adventure in statistics is the, the culmination of me writing a fictional story and embedding all the statistical content completely within that. So there's a kind of main character and through his journey, uh, he meets loads of people who are like hell bent on teaching him statistics, which turns out to be quite useful for him in the end. Uh, but it, it's essentially trying to, trying to teach through a fictional narrative. So rather than, you know, author talking to uh, reader, 
it is reader hopefully entering into you know a world and identifying with the main character he's this person who basically thinks stats is kind of boring and pointless and he's way too <laughs> way too cool for it and doesn't think he's clever enough to do it and over the course of this uh, you know mission that he ends up going on to uh, to track down his genius scientist girlfriend who's gone missing he uh, he learns all sorts of you know he's kind of re- reluctantly forced into the world of science to get to <laughs> please, uh, to get please to tell his me true he love. finds out at the end that she just left because he was a pain in the ass. <laughs> he doesn't no. find it, does he? It doesn't end happily, does it? Well, you know, I can't give away the ending. Oh, <laughs> now I've got to read it. All right, I'll read it. I'll have to do another uh, episode after we've both read it. And and you you um you worked uh, very closely with a famous illustrator. Yeah, well, I mean, this was quite an interesting part of the project because I, I got the the approval to um to, I went to Sage who do all my other books with this idea, mm. and you know probably they should have quite reasonably said, "Fuck off, it's mad," but they didn't. They said, "Yeah, all right then." And then I thought, well, they've gone for that. How can I take it to the next level? <laughs> and uh, the next level, I thought, was, well, you know, let's get some, like, graphic novel elements. So, I mean, essentially, I didn't have a lot of faith in me being able to write well enough to create a world. So I thought if there were some pretty pictures to create the world for me, that would be handy. And uh, yeah, who's, who's, the, who's the target audience, can I ask? Uh, it's kind of first-year undergrads. It's kind of like first principles, assuming you don't know anything about stats so it's kind of first year level right on this is this is probably why all the sweaty number gronks that we hang out with have not been sort of beating on the door going, oh you've got to you've got to read this it's a multi it's a multi-discursive inverted nippled bayesian book about xyz it's more sort of but you know from Sage's is- perspective, that's a much more sensible decision. Like sell it to the <laughs> a, a massive, continually turning over group of people who are never going to go away. That's tight. Yeah, well, from my perspective, it's sensible as well because it, you know, it covers material I actually know. You know, if I was trying to write something on Bayesian stats, I'd have to go and learn a lot more about it than I currently know. Yeah. But, but you've included some section of sections of Bayesian stats in the recent editions of your Discovering Statistics books, haven't you? Nope. Uh, but an adventure in stats has Bayes factors in, uh, and the new. I mean, I mean the the basic thing with with the SPSS book, SPSS doesn't do Bayesian stuff. Yeah. In the uh, edition of that that's coming out later this year, I have crowbarred base factors in but essentially you have to do it sort of through the back door using r okay so it's yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one you have to like install a plugin and what you're effectively doing is using some dialog boxes that you install that are using richard Morris base factor package in r but you just you know you're kind of not you're not necessarily aware of it because you know you've SPSS well that's the whole point that's the whole point of, of spss <laughs> to make you not aware of what you're doing are, are you on a, are you an open science guy because after you we, we we were familiar in the initial sense of discovering statistics as an spss book but then you took a couple of years and then turned on a dime and released an r version of all exactly the same stuff are you going <laughs> to classify yourself as an open science goon um i yes probably uh the last couple of papers i've done i've put up on uh, the osf and 
you know i'm getting there i'm probably not quite as fundamentalist about it as some people are but oh, yeah. i'd say if you know if i had to classify myself on one side of the fence or the other then i'd say yes yeah i I'd stuffed up royally with that myself the other day it was that was good fun i have a, a paper from a few years ago where i wrote data is available on request and someone wrote to me for the data and went where is it and I'm like, oh shit that was <laughs> actually that was it. three that was three jobs ago um uh, I can get you the code. I can help you make it work. But do I have the data? Uh, no, it's in a filing cabinet in Sydney <laughs> since 2011. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So you know, with this, we're not we're not really fundamentalists ourselves. You're not going to get any heat for that here. Maybe from Dan. He's a little bit more, you know, religious about it. <laughs> I'm trying to do it more and more. I mean, there's obviously some stuff that I can't do, particularly when it comes around um, patient. Um, patient privacy so uh, you sure. know, if i can I'll, I'll do it open but if i can't then then i can't um now uh, andy on twitter a few weeks ago you mentioned that uh, your answer to the question of what's the biggest problem in science would probably be statistical literacy would you tell us why you think uh, statistical literacy is so important um i think so a really good illustration of what i meant by that is i gave a talk not that long ago which i don't do that often because they terrify me but i got persuaded and um the guy current... with the penis video seriously <laughs> yeah oh, for people you know, we're definitely putting that in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> so the the current you know because like most scientists i have a talk that i wheel out you know and, until everyone everyone's heard it so i don't have to write new ones so my <laughs> my current talk is why i don't believe anything in psychology and it's you know it just covers a, a lot of it's not not particularly it's not ground that i'm particularly uh creating you know it's more uh, assimilating lots of other people's good ideas um with some doctor who thrown in so at the end of this talk i've just given this talk about you know all, all the problems in psychology and problems with how people treat their data and problems with null hypothesis significance testing all that all the kind of general stuff and this guy puts his hand up at the <laughs> i've just i literally just put my hand up there didn't i a guy uh, put his hand up at the back to ask a question at the end and he said this may be a naive question i'm a mathematician and i instantly thought oh shit he's going to ask me something that i can't <laughs> possibly know the answer to uh he said this is a this may be a naive question but you know surely in psychology, you have statisticians to analyze your data for you. I was like, uh, yeah, not not so much. <laughs> and he, he kind of looked quite bemused. And he was like, so you mean psychologists analyze their own data despite not having a formal education in statistics? It's like, yeah. And he said, and it, you know, he went around like a third time. So just to clarify, oh no! <laughs> and, it, and it was so it you're was, saying right? Well, it was just it suddenly made me realise, like, yeah, this is nuts, isn't it? It's nuts. You have people who are supposed to, and it's not just psychology either. There are people who are supposed to be world leading experts on psychological theory and whatever it is they're researching. And on top of that, on top of that immensely time-consuming and intellectual pursuit, they are also supposed to be expert statisticians, world-leading statisticians, up on all the current methods, able to implement them and understand them and know when they're making sensible decisions. And 
I, I think that that's a huge problem. I mean, at a more micro level, uh, I think it's a problem in that one of the things that has happened to me is I have you know become a bit of a stats monkey for people, as you might imagine. So occasionally I'm uh, named statistician, which in itself is a joke, on people's <laughs> grants, and you know analyze their data for them. And that quite often makes you aware of what other people's conceptions are about you know statistical issues. So I, yeah. I have kind of real issues a lot of the time when I read psychology papers thinking about what decision-making process has gone on. And I mean, there's tons of research out there that shows that, you know, people use, not just in psychology, use researcher degrees of freedom to maximize the chance of getting their p-values below 0.05, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just basically think scientists who are not statisticians shouldn't be allowed to analyze their own data <laughs> essentially and what are you what are your biggest what are your biggest bugbears when you do actually read papers and you're like oh gee not again you mentioned um research degrees of freedom but what other stuff do you read and you're just like man um i think well this is not so much in papers but when i'm analyzing data for other people uh, i am constantly frustrated by um how personally involved they are with the results <laughs> <laughs> so being asked to do things and having to turn around and say no that's not that's not what you said you were going to do in the beginning i'm not doing that for you mm. yeah no, I was uh, I got some data from uh, a work group we we're working with a while back, and it turned up with all with all the groups written into it. And I go, "Can I have a blinded copy of the data?" The reply to which was, "What's a blinded copy? <laughs> what's 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 that? I mean, we know we know what we want, don't you know where all the groups are? Yeah, sort of. Oh, can I have the without your expectations cooked into the data <laughs> file, please? <laughs> Because that'd be that'd that'd be a little bit more sort of uh, neutral, if you like. Um, speaking of all the status, I was very surprised, and I looked you up. You're actually technically you're a professor of child psychopathology. You are not actually a statistician. Uh, yes, that is that is correct. <laughs> Although don't don't, get me, don't get me started on I, job titles. <laughs> Oh, no, I, was, I had absolutely no, no idea that you weren't a statistician proper. So was, a lot of people are going to be hearing that for the first time. Yeah, it's quite frightening, really. <laughs> <laughs> for for everyone <laughs> using the book. <laughs> oh, I'm basically just some idiot who cobbled a book together. <laughs> Like, how, how did you come up with the idea in the first place? Like, you know, like for the fir first edition, obviously, it was the SPSS version, yeah? Uh, yeah. I, the first like, edition, I'd quite like to eradicate from the face of the earth and the second edition. <laughs> and the second edition. Probably but, the third. Like, what, 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 was the, what was the actual process or the thought process or like what sort of led you to actually writing a book in the first place? It was essentially uh, a massive clunk of serendipity. So I was I was a TA like most people are doing their PhDs and I was teaching the stats modules and I used to just, you know, invent stupid examples because our students were bored out of their minds. And um, I thought, I mean, actually, to be fair, the first term I did was just terrible. And like 
I had students coming up to me telling me, I don't understand a word you're saying, you're talking gibberish. So that was highly motivating to do things better. And so I started just writing stupid examples, like really off the wall examples. And at the time, someone who was kind of a friend of a friend was had written a book for Sage and Sage had, was kind of getting him to almost like be a like a talent scout except when it comes to book publishing you know it's not it's not really about talentness it's just about willingness to spend vast quantities of your life writing um so he he got wind you know that I had handouts and and whatnot and and he quite liked the look of them and he said why don't you do a book for Sage and at the time I was in the last year of my PhD so I was immensely flattered i didn't realize that he was probably going around telling anyone who looked like they might possibly write a book <laughs> uh, <laughs> this sort of thing so and i thought well i've got the handouts i mean anyone who's ever written an academic book probably has the same experience of i've got some handouts it won't be that difficult to turn it into a book and then you know six months no actually it was 18 months for the first edition you know when you're Ooh, that's a long time to spend on one thing yeah you're like hovering at the edge of a cliff face or something you think yeah it was actually pretty hard to change my handouts into a book but you know it was good it's good experience and um i'm sure we have um we have listeners of the show that um themselves want to actually improve their statistical literacy what do you think is the best way for them to approach this like what are the what are the first steps for, for them to actually do this well uh i'm hoping that if i say do daniel larkin's Coursera course, he might like give me a hundred quid. Well, obviously, they should read an adventure in statistics because it's amazing. <laughs> there you go. There I love is. a bit of self promotion. There it is. So, I think the most important thing is find a resource that works for you, essentially. You know, there's ton, tons of stuff written and different styles or whatever and i really believe in finding something that you can relate to it doesn't necessarily you know sure. i obviously write my books in a style that i like not everyone likes them so you can't i don't think you can recommend one thing to everyone i think you just it's a bit of trial and error find out what your mates like and see if you like it too Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I've got a I've got a re- related question to it because I've got a contention about statistics, and this may be specific to physiology to some degree. But I don't think I've ever published a paper. I've got some really. I've been extremely lucky over my comparatively short career with good peer review. I had lots of people say really sensible shit, and a lot of people say very nice things briefly, which is all obviously <laughs> the, the best thing that you can get. A nice long-winded thing a lot of the time turns into, can you add an extra thousand words of all the shit I like? But <laughs> I've, never got, I've never got anyone to review something that I've written to improve the statistical nature of the paper ever. It is my contention, therefore, that peer review very rarely helps you improve your own statistical knowledge. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I mean, going back to sort of personal bugbears uh actually one of one of my really big bugbears is reviewers commenting on my stats <laughs> <laughs> dry it absolutely drives me nuts <laughs> uh but i mean it, actually it's not it's not just say you know my stats necessarily but even when i collaborate on papers and you they just seem again maybe it's just psychology there just seems to be this thing of 
uh, at least one of the three reviewers is going to get on their high horse about some statistical thing and probably eight out of ten times they're wrong yeah and it's just so, like oh my god like if you're gonna comment on this at least know what you're talking about yeah. so when case, people get it into their always... heads there's one right way you get you have to there's no there's no sense of understanding the principles involved but you go, go look we previously did something and there's one right way so i've learned a series of words that go with that concept and i'm going to hit you with them and you write back and go, no, look, if you look at the basic principles involved, what we've done is fine and significantly less complicated than that. But, you know, they've got their thing and they want you to use their thing. Yeah, so there was that paper. I, I don't know if it's come out. I think I read it as a preprint where they sent a, a data set that was maybe about refereeing decisions in football. Is this ringing any bells? Anyway, they had... A, uh, a, a, yeah, and they got a, a bunch of different set. analyses for the same... Yeah, they sent it to like 26 groups. Uh, so they sent the data and the hypothesis and just said, yeah, fit a, fit a model to test our hypothesis. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a do, do white and black footballers get a different amount of red cards? Yeah, that's Am the I one. Am I remembering that? Yeah, yeah. another one. We'll link to yep. that paper. Show notes. Show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that, that perfectly illustrates the fact that, you know, there are, you know, diff- different ways to approach I mean, even a very basic level, you know, some of the groups did Bayesian stuff, some of the groups did frequentist stuff, and yeah. Uh, and what I remember were... from that was the sp- the spread of the answers, because as you said, that there's twenty something different groups involved, but it wasn't as if it was clustered around any given individual result. If I remember the histogram correctly of what they had, um, the bias went from sort of evenly from minus three to about plus eight percent and then had different conclusions about whether or not it was statistically meaningful and every result in the middle was reasonably well represented there wasn't like a huge cluster at six and then half a dozen freaks who used analysis they found the the back of a six-pack of lager it was all just sort of all over the place and presumably everyone involved in that reasonably serious project had their own justifications yeah, and I think also they, they were sent to kind of quant methods groups. Like they, they weren't just sent to right. sort of, you know, random people who might know a bit about stats. They were sent to, I, I don't know if it was statisticians, but that people heavily involved in quant methods. Yeah, that's mm. it's scary. Yeah. Um, that was a kind of. Uh, the, You'd think this would be an old sore by now that people would never get sick of talking about it, but I never saw much discussion around that paper. Probably because I wasn't on Twitter at the time. Are you a big Twitter <laughs> guy, Andy? I don't remember much either, but like I say, I've, I've got a feeling it, I may have got it when it was a preprint, and I don't know whether it's actually come out or gone through peer review or whatever. I mean, you'd think it would have done because this is. I think it well, did. It's probably I'm a couple of years sure. ago, though, maybe that I read it. Yeah. Yeah, Dan can tell us if it was a big discussion on Twitter. He loves Twitter. <laughs> it gives, well, I, I, it I, gives I, him the erogenous zone. I, I've, I've been t- telling you about Twitter since since our PhD days, days James. And uh, yes. finally, you've, you've, I've uh, been you've, telling you've you that you were an ugly foreigner since exactly the same period of time. <laughs> and then finally, you twisted my arm a tiny bit too far. All the ligaments snapped, and I joined, so you don't hurt me anymore. And you you, you love it. Um, now the thing is like. <laughs> Whenever basically, whenever I sort of wake up in the morning and I, I see like twenty notifications, I'm like, yeah, it's got to be a stats argument. Open it up, <laughs> yep. and of course, 
It's incredible. Yep. So, so I mean, you have this example. All the, all the psychophysics people, people, when the psychophysics people get started, oh, the other day, it's like 51 notifications. Like, ah, oh, did someone tag a psychophysics person in that? Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. Off we go. It's wild, like no, nothing else, but I, I think it shows you. I mean, Jane, you know, we, we do stuff in... in heart rate variability and, and, and psychophysiology and we never get these sort of de- I, I wish we had these kind of debates on Twitter but it just never happens but it seems yeah, that it with doesn't. statistics like like this this study with the um, refereeing decisions illustrates it perfectly that like even though you can give someone hypothesis people will just approach these things statistically so different and it's a bit weird because you'd think there'd be some sort of loose consensus of um of, of how this would be approached but it's almost like you know someone learns during their PhD or postdoc this is how I did my analysis and then they just stick with that thing and don't actually change how they um how they approach stuff yeah so that that, uh, that there was this uh the american statistical association uh published a statement again i'm not very good with remembering how long ago things are because i have two small children so time is meaningless to me <laughs> um but maybe a year ago two years three decade who knows uh i think within the last five years <laughs> Anyway, uh, it was a statement about p-values. And I think it was a really helpful thing for them to do because clearly the American Statistical Association, if they say something, it's something that kind of everyone would take seriously. Sure. And uh, one of the points that was made in that paper was that, that there is this kind of vicious circle in that. And I, th- I think this is really true in psychology as well, where people are taught certain things. So as an undergrad, you go in, you're taught frequentist statistics and you're taught a very, res- I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing obviously, but there's an element to which you're taught a very recipe book way of doing things, look at p-values. And there's a pragmatic reason for that, which is typically the groups you're teaching are very, very mixed ability. And the, the easiest way to get someone you know, through the exam is to give them a set of rules to, to follow. But of course, the downside, sure. you know, the nuances are, are difficult. They are, they're difficult to understand. They're not easy. So you get taught in a certain way and then you, you know, go through your degree and you think, well, they're the tools of my trade. And then you go onto your PhD and you think they're the tools of my trade. And then you get your first lectureship and they, because you're a young lecturer and no one wants to teach stats, they go, you're going to teach the stats. And you think, <laughs> well, oh. I don't really know much about stats, but I know what I was taught. So I better teach all that same stuff that I was taught. So you just get this cycle of, mm. of there's an inertia. It's very difficult for new ideas to, to break in because the people doing the teaching are not always, uh, you know, kind of at the, they're not always that interested in new advances in methods. You know, there, there's like, there are people around uh, most of whom have been on your podcast at some point, probably, uh, you know, who take an interest in these things above and beyond, you know, perhaps uh, what, you know, what they, what they should or what they need. They're just interested in it. But I, I think in general, that's not the case in general. It's being taught by people who don't have the, the time or the inclination to try and work out, you know, what current thinking is. And it goes back to yeah. the whole thing of, isn't it ridiculous that, we are, you know, the, the the analyzers of our own data. The masters of our own destiny. Has it has it always been this way historically? Like, um, was was there a time maybe maybe a long time ago within psychology where 
there was more strict um, uh, prerequisites of actually knowing statistics? Or has it just kind of always, I, I don't know, has it always been this way? Um, I don't know. I mean, my... Well, actually, when I did my degree, uh, which was <clears throat> a while ago, <laughs> um, some some of our stats courses were taught by the uh, actuaries department, and that I think was Whoa. fairly common. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, it's an interesting approach. And, but so again, I can't I can't really remember specific examples, but so that wasn't uncommon. I rem- I remember sort of talking to other students at other universities and some of them were taught in-house and some of them were taught by the stats department or some related kind of department but then there was definitely at some point it seemed to become more common to do things in-house and I think a lot of that was students were struggling to (laughs) understand anything that the people from the actuaries department were saying so it was like well let's let's bring in let's make it a bit more student-friendly that was my experience. Um, I had to do. Uh, I had to do for the degree that I started in. I was in statistics in general for the life sciences, um, and it was taught by someone from the maths department, and it was not even slightly psychologically specific. And then I had to do first year psychology the year after that, and found that it was something of a step backwards that they'd taken all the things that were previously like the 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 places where you'd assume someone who had a reasonable mathematical competence would leap over you know you know you learn to yeah. apply classes to things you learn how information assorts within the formulas that you get and and at that point in time you can start making leaps and they just expect you to get it and psychological statistics in house uh, which happened after that was something of a step backwards. I, I had the exact same experience. First year, we had the stats or the maths department teaching statistics. It was dry. I didn't take anything in. I barely passed. And then um, second and third year, um, it was in-house. But I, I remember the, the biggest problem um, for me was that um, we were being taught via SPSS. Um, and uh, at the time, um, I, was a, I, was a, I was a poor student, so I couldn't actually afford SPSS on my computer. And the only way we could access it was um, via the, uh, the, the stats or the computer lab. And uh, basically, it was, um, there was only like three or four computers. Like, I went to like a pretty decent under- university, <laughs> but there's only like three or four computers with SPSS. And the only time I could actually do, and do the actual analysis or, or do the assignments was whenever there was a whenever there was a free computer and it was incredibly frustrating um and mm. because of that um I, I really feel that that actually affected how i did it and then by the time i got to my honors year or equivalent of a master's then i finally got sps on my computer but um i that I mean that that's one of the reasons i actually like the shift towards r because anyone anyone can actually um anyone can use it and anyone can afford it. i'm not sure maybe things have changed when it comes to, to, to licensing and and, um, and and students using SPSS, but um, well, yeah, they site license that... everything now. Any university that's bigger than three dudes sitting in a mud hut gets a site license for <laughs> SPSS, so everyone can have access to it. Some of the toolboxes from memory are nailed down pretty hard, but mm. um, everyone gets a everyone gets a basic package by virtue of turning up and getting a university email address. They just send it to you. Yeah, well, uh, not. Uh... It's not, not, um, it's not it's not, not cheap, back in though. the 70s when Dan got started. Yeah. <laughs> You're older than me, Heathers. What? Am I? Oh, yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh, well, Andy's, Andy's older than both of us put together. Yeah. yeah. 
probably true. <laughs> no, it's just well, how you well, feel. You said you got two young kids. I'm reliably yeah. assured that's what happens. They bite you. They don't sleep, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've I've seen the news. I know how they work. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not. I don't, I don't, it's not so much feeling old. It's just feeling like some. There's no energy left <laughs> in the world. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Damn, man. Shed loads well, of fun though. I, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, um, on that note, we'll take a quick break and uh, we'll be back soon. Back to the Everything Hurts podcast. I am opiates in human form, and I am here with my co-host, a boiled sweet that rolled under the couch. And we are talking to Professor Andy Field, author of several books on statistics, a humanoid male, and a professor of child <laughs> psychopathology at, is it Sussex or Cardiff? Or I've forgotten immediately. I Sussex, probably should have found that out. It's funny you Sussex. should say Cardiff, because a ridiculous amount of people seem to think I'm at Cardiff. Which Why is I can that? only... I don't know. I think they must confuse me with Richard Morrie, who's a, like a proper statistician. <laughs> oh. Probably just think, yeah, Cardiff, they've got a proper statistician. Maybe it's that, that field bloke. No, don't know. I, can't, I can't think of why I said that. I think the, the names are reasonably similar, and an awful lot of people who aren't from England probably don't know the difference between Sussex and Cardiff. Yeah, well, Cardiff's in Wales, so it's in a yeah, so obviously that's, that's, that's the central. That's the central problem. It is a different country, but you know, anyone with a passing familiarity of Ireland will be will will, will know the the crossover issues between. You know, you ever seen someone try to pay with euros in a shitty pub in Belfast? It's pretty funny. <laughs> well, th- thanks to uh, everyone that's been uh, talking about the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Um, th- there's been. A ton of there's a ton of new um, psychology podcasts and there's, there's new ones popping up all the time. I saw a few of the uh, the Bayes folk on Twitter saying that they're starting their own podcast as well. Uh, it's focused uh, just on yes. Bayes. Just imagine the comments with that uh, <laughs> and how the debate is, around how that well one. Is so, that yeah, going everyone, to everyone, do? How well is that going to do as a conversation? Because I am well, all for as many of these things as possible. They're, 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 I've said in several your, uh, episodes, I'd like an ecosystem. <laughs> Oh wow! Wouldn't you'd be the worst guest possible for a Bayesian podcast? <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Dan. I, I, I agree with everyone, and I'm here to be nice. No, you may not. <laughs> Bayes determines you have made a mistake in your life. Everyone's uh, yeah. So it's it's great um, that uh, you know people are people are hopping on the uh, the the old the old podcast, and uh, yeah. So we really appreciate all the support and people talking about the podcast online. I know a lot of people listen to the podcast while they're working um people uh, seem to be going into the back catalogue um yeah we have, we have, big, uh, big shout out for um, remy who's uh, remy. retweeting stuff from uh from episode the, the, like, three horrible shit i can't remember that i said it he's gone into the back catalogue and hey you remember that time you were really horrible about this I'm like, no <laughs> i don't i'm not i wasn't even there for it i was dead at the time stop blaming me <laughs> So it's, oh, it's, it's great. nice when it's Keep... useful to people. 
keep keep um listening to the older stuff and and watch us get um moderately m- listen to us moderately improve <laughs> our podcasts yeah and how we and how we do the podcasts as well so uh no but thank thanks to everyone um if you are listening to the show um, make sure you give us a shout out and we would also love it if you were to leave a review on itunes that would mean the world to us because a lot of people find their podcasts through itunes um you could so yeah if you're on twitter follow us on at at hertz podcast you can also find us on facebook search everything hurts podcast or you can send us an email at everything hurts podcast at gmail.com and you can also find uh andy field our guest today on twitter and he is at prof andy field so there it is. Actually, you can you can find Andy on Wikipedia, which I just did in the break. <laughs> when neither of you were looking. What does it say? Do you want to um, fact check with me? Yeah, I do. yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is very hilarious. In his books, Field Field typically typically cites the music that he listened to while writing. This is true. The bands predominantly cited are in the genres of rock music, progressive rock, and heavy metal music. Also true. <laughs> Um, he lists his musical heroes as Michael Ackerfeld and Martin Axenroth of Opeth. Yeah, true. Yeah. Dave Murray. Does it mention Dave Murray? Yeah, it does mention Dave Murray, but you know. Yeah, he's got a photo, uh, you played, a photo in my textbook. You played and sang in a heavy metal band called Scansion. Oh, you've got an Encyclopedia Metallum page. I wonder if I can download your music and blast people with it. Oh, please. <laughs> Maybe please, we can play that don't. in the... Uh... <laughs> Oh man, this was in the nineties. James, 90s. I will send you kittens. I will send you kittens in a box. Kittens, well I, ventilated. Uh, we get, I get if kittens. you do not We're play not any of my music. <laughs> oh man, is that so? Were you were you were you a young punk, or what was the story there? Uh, no, it's well. So, Scansion was a band when I was kind of at school and at university, and uh, this this is a reference that's not going to mean anything to anyone. But uh, we were well. I was massively into this band called the beyond who are like this uk sort of they were kind of like a jazz metal band they were like really like nothing else and uh, i was i was obsessed with them so we would we tried to emulate them and prong we were really into prong at the time they were also yes. kind of uh you know i guess i guess quite a little bit out there at the time well they were more out there then than they are now well, I think they retain sufficient weirdness. That's yeah. a very classic band amongst like the scabby old metalheads like us, of which I now include myself because of the recent acquisition of several scabs. Um, <laughs> I think prong prong is a it's one of it's one of those bands that pops up in people's like what was your formative kind of and it always it always ends up in that sort of list, along with you know. Lot of, for you, probably lots of new wave of British heavy metal bands. Do you listen to Saxon much ever? No, I'm not really into Saxon. I mean, I'm uh, as anyone who's read any of my books, I mean, I'm a humongous Iron Maiden fan, absolutely massive. But I could never play guitar well enough to emulate them, which is why I tried to. Oh, emulate you can play guitar well enough to emulate Saxon. <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my cat can. Oh, this is going to end up being a whole episode of metal <laughs> in jokes if someone doesn't stop us. Stop us, Dan. Be a sensible. We, we will. Um, we, we'll get back to the statistics. Um, now, uh, earlier in the episode, why, why, why? <laughs> we can, yeah, it's a sub, yeah, the, a sub episode. The, the side podcast. Everything hurts with a U R T S. 
we can uh, <laughs> about metal with the with the font. Well, um, uh, earlier in the um, in the episode, we were talking about how a lot of people tend to sort of stick with um, with the sort of statistical stuff that they were taught. Uh, I, I was wondering, I was a bit, a bit curious for you, Andy, what sort of stuff or you know. Uh, within statistics, what has your attention at the moment? Is there any sort of new technique or any sort of new approach? Um, you don't have to say Bayes, but just you know, like, well, oh, <laughs> but that is the answer. I mean, okay, okay. So, but but like, why why like has it got your attention? And and, and what are your sort of thoughts around it? Um, well, like, I guess it's got my attention just because it has become easier to do, and there are more people championing it, championing it. Um. But also, I think there's there's more accessible material than there used to be. And the huge, huge thing for me was probably R. Stan becoming available, which in itself is, it's not that intuitive to, to sorry, R. Stan is uh, like a, a rapper in R to use Stan, which is uh, Andrew Gelman's, you know, thing for doing Bayesian stuff. Um. But because our Stan exists, there are now other people uh, writing kind of rappers for using Stan. So, it, you know, it's like the, the rappers of the rappers of the rappers are becoming you know, much easier to use. But also, it just makes a, a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in using the right tools for the job. It's not like I'm necessarily going to do a Bayesian analysis on everything that I ever do for the rest of my academic career but there have been a couple of papers recently where I have felt that a Bayesian approach is the you know the right approach for the question that I'm trying to ask sure what's a good example of a, a question or do you have a like updating do you have multiple results on the same thing or what is it uh no so one paper I did recently which was using an existing longitudinal data set and I was interested in yeah. that there's a hypothesis in the kind of child anxiety literature that someone has around um, anxious fathers contributing more to children's anxiety than anxious mothers. Loads of the research has been done on anxious mothers, but they they have argued a case for um, anxious fathers being more important in the intergenerational transmission of anxiety to kids. Okay. But But essentially a lot of their arguments for why fathers are more important, you could equally argue the other way. So more or less everything they have I'm not saying I disagree with them or don't disagree with them. I'm just quite open-minded about it. But I think, you know, they they have primarily evolutionary arguments about this and lots of assumptions about male child-caring roles versus female child-caring roles that are perhaps a little stereotyped. So I had a data set that had quite a lot of data from mothers and fathers, which is unusual. It was perfect for mm. tr- trying to kind of tackle that question. It's longitudinal, so it tracked um the children over sort of a reasonable amount of time so the issue here is that you've got a a theoretical hypothesis that maternal and paternal anxiety are going to differ in their influence on child anxiety but there's an equally theoretically interesting hypothesis which is that maternal and paternal anxiety do not differ in uh, their influence on child anxiety and if you fit a kind of classical model where you're looking at p-values, that's basically going to tell you nothing about the second hypothesis. It's not going to tell you anything about how plausible it is 
that the influence of maternal anxiety on child anxiety is the same as the influence of paternal anxiety on child anxiety. So if you can't answer that question using a, a kind of a classical model, then you know one solution is you just uh, make it an issue of estimation rather than uh, having competing hypotheses. So if you could have uh, a parameter in your model that estimates the influence of paternal anxiety on child anxiety and a similar parameter that estimates the influence of maternal anxiety on child anxiety the question is are those two parameters plausibly the same value and you can't answer that with confidence intervals because you can't make probabilistic statements from confidence intervals but you can start to address that question if you use hpd intervals or you know the, the bayesian equivalent so credible intervals because you can make probabilistic statements so using a bayesian approach allowed me to uh, essentially work out what the plausible values were for the parameter that represented paternal influence on child anxiety or sorry paternal anxiety on child anxiety and also estimate the plausible values of um, the influence of maternal anxiety on child anxiety and look at whether those the extent to which those plausible values overlapped. So if they did overlap a lot, which, which actually they did, those intervals, then effectively you've got fairly strong evidence that the uh, effect of maternal anxiety is going to be pretty similar to that of paternal anxiety. If, of course, they don't overlap, then you've got very strong evidence that the influence of, of maternal anxiety is different is it sort of plausibly different in magnitude to that of uh, paternal anxiety. So it, you know, it allowed me to do something that I could not have done with a classical model. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I wish I could do a Daniel Larkin's accent and say the right tools for the right job or something like that. We need, we need, a, little, <laughs> we need a little smash button or something. But the only one I ever had of those, you know, the big red button and it only says one thing. The only one I those I ever had just said shit. So I guess the, the technology is not there yet. <sighs> Typical. And, and for that particular paper, did, did you report the Bayesian statistics like in conjunction with Frequentist or you just went um, Bayesian for this? No, one? no, uh, it's it's 100% Bayesian and it's 100% going to get rejected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's 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 a that's a negative talk. Why is it going to get? Why is it going to get spiked, <laughs> or is it going to get bounced after review? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it's got to review because it was submitted okay. long enough ago that I think if it was going to come straight back, it would have by sure. now. Um, I don't. Well, I don't. Know. Yeah, I've I've been. I, I'm actually. I've been too afraid to to try doing that. Just submitting something that's just um, just with Bayes. So. I usually go with the sort of middle ground approach and, and, and do both. Um, and I, I haven't actually had any, any reviewers complain about the Bayesian stuff just because I've sort of chucked in the chucked in the p-values and that seems to satisfy. Um, but even even within sort of my own field, I'm, I'm sort of more within more within psychiatry than more within psychology. But um, there's, there's a lot of people who aren't really familiar and they're like, what are the what are these numbers? And you have to you have to spend half the method section actually explaining explaining what it is. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's a few more uh, a few more years. Till it um, not not necessarily gets a wider acceptance, but um, people just have have a, a wider understanding of what 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 it can do, um, and what it can't do as well. But I think also it's an expertise thing, isn't it? So if you're being asked to review a paper and you don't know that much about the methods that are being used, 
you're going to feel a bit like, well, I don't really know whether this is any, you know, this is, I mean, obviously I tried to do a good job of explaining what I was doing and why I was doing it and, you know, what my priors were and all the rest of it. And we, uh, I think if I remember correctly, I put some stuff on the OSF to accompany the paper that had more detail mm. about the priors and things like that. But if you don't, you know, there's, there's plenty of papers that I could get that use techniques that I'm not particularly familiar with. And what do you do? You look at them and think, well, yeah, sound, sounds reasonable, but is it? I don't know. So I just, I just wonder if there's going to be uh, like, yeah, this is nice, but where are the p-values? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, you're right. I am being negative, but. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, it's born, it's born of experience. Maybe not unduly negative. I mean, especially look. It's the, the the problem with with anything like this is there's a there's a drag factor in review. If you want to do something that's a, a methodologically new in an area that is an application of the theory that you're going to use, it's going to end up on the desk of someone who has no interest in learning new methods. If they have a way in which it should be done, and their response will be, "What is this fancy newfangled bollocks?" This is not how we do things here, sir. And for some reason, they're a colonel and they're about sort of 1860s era. And yeah, uh, so I don't know why they talk like that. Uh, but regardless, um, they'll want what they're familiar with. And but, uh, I don't know how much you can do about that. Well, I think it boils down to kind of editorial policy in some way. So, you know, as, a, as an editor... Um, if you're thinking this uses something that's maybe uh, a bit specialist, then, well, from experience of being an editor, I think the approach I would take is, right, I need some people to review the, the psychology of this. So send it to some people in the field who know whether this is an interesting question and, yep. you know, whether whether all the measures have been, you know, whether it's been operationalized correctly, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And then you send it to someone else who's, a Bayesian statistician to check whether that side of things has been done correctly. And then, you know, you, you pull that together. So you send it to one person and say, look, I know you, you don't know it. You're not interested in psychology. I don't care. Just does this model seem reasonable? Are the assumptions reasonable? Are the priors reasonable? Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. You send it to someone in psychology to evaluate the psychology and, and, you know, bring it together. But I guess I'm a bit, you know, review processes can, I mean, like like you, James, I've had a lot of incredibly positive review processes, but I, and, and also had editors who have really taken care and attention to kind of do things properly to the point where you think, how on earth do they have time in their life yeah. To, yeah, to write this kind of response? Absolutely. But I've also had the flip side, which is uh, editors just sitting on the fence because they can't be bothered to... Uh, you know look through the reviewers comments and decide which ones are sensible and which ones are not so they're just yeah. like wow well, can't can't be bothered so i'll fudge it with a revise and resubmit or just reject it because I, I don't want it coming i don't want to see it again <laughs> my my favorite editorial cop-out is um well this person's really senior and i'm i really need them to keep doing reviews for me so uh, i'm not going over their head or trying to take on what they say if it's pretty unreasonable i'm just going to go with what they're doing because uh, i need them more than i need your paper and i think they'll get the hump if uh, their criticisms are ignored so you know pound sand and fuck off 
With the best will in the world, with that, I encourage you to submit all future work to our journal. And uh, we actually <laughs> so I can send it to this person again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It was, look, I've, I have I have wondered about that myself. Uh, how do editors fit time into the day? And I've, there's a, a the editors bitching about how hard their job is is kind of a, a feature of it, as far as I can tell. Which is, seems pretty justified, but um, they all like to have a good honk, and that's uh... yeah. I was going to say I, I don't really think it's bitching. I think that's just uh, you know relaying accurate information about the hell that is being a journal editor. Oh, that's yeah. This is probably the Australian context of bitching. Is that any any form of complaint that is not the uh... like, yeah, yeah, look? There's 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 such a thing as justified bitching. <laughs> yeah. And that definitely falls into the heading of, you know, they've got way too much to do and they're doing it for nothing. But everyone's always, I submitted this three months ago and there's still no reviewers and they're, they're writing out emails in the middle of the night. Motherfucker, I asked six people and some of them won't even tell me no. <laughs> yeah. Are you, do you edit anything? Are you on the, the board of uh, anything like that? Uh, not really. I'm on a f- few editorial boards, but I'm not. Uh, I have been an associate editor in the past and decided it wasn't the life for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's incredible how much, because um, um, I, I just joined um, as an associate editor for, for one journal and I, I, I took my, my first paper sort of through, through, the, through the whole thing and I couldn't believe how much time it took. Like just, yeah. I was thinking, oh, dude, this will be okay. Unbelievable amount of time just going through, well, you know, if you actually reading the um the, the the comments of the reviewers and, and going through everything uh, unbelievable so I, i've just just from going through that process once i've so much respect for uh for editors and associate editors the good ones who are actually putting time in yeah. and i wonder myself um you know how do people how do people have the time to do this it's, it's incredible yeah i mean i i did it for a bit and then uh It takes. A, I think it takes a lot of time if you want to do it. I don't want to use the word properly because you know that. But you know what I mean. If you mm. want to really think about making the right decision, and if you're kind of high on neuroticism like I am, so you worry about making the right decision as well. Um, you know that that can be a problem. And I and I used to do things like I mean, especially if people came back with sort of statistical things that were wrong. I'd end up writing an editorial letter saying, you know, ignore all that stuff that reviewer X has said. But, you know, you can't say ignore it because they're talking out their ass. Yeah. You have to flower it up a bit. Like, well, whilst reviewer X has a point about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, the point yeah, maybe is that's blunt, not the most much imp- like the author. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't, maybe that's not the most important thing to focus on in your uh, you know, revision or what, I don't know. It was taking an enormous amount of time. And then uh, I was I was sort of do. I think I did it for the British Journal of Maths and Stats where I really didn't get very many papers, but I just found I was getting really lazy with it. And I thought, right, I need to just stop doing this because I'm not doing justice to the job anymore. I'm just being a lazy git who's writing four lines. And uh, I need to move on. Yeah. You know, know what you're good at. I'm not. There's, I, yeah, I there's fictional statistics it. books to write. I mean, who, who else? Who else is exactly. going to come up with that as a concept? <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, what's on the uh, what's on the horizon, um, textbook wise or book wise? Uh, well, I've just 
Oh, I say I've just finished. I haven't because I've I've submitted the manuscript for the fifth edition of the SBSS book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm currently reading through copy editor comments on that, uh, and then I'll have like a ton of web materials to update and all the rest of it. And then I'm going to do the R book, and I'm going to tear that apart and rebuild it. Because that would be tricky. The... Because like packages are pop. Well, not a l- not that often, but. You know, at least within sort of every year or two, you might get new packages that come up which actually do all these things a lot better than, than current packages. So is that the sort of stuff that you're changing or, or what are you doing with the book? No, it's more... Um, I mean, actually, that happened with ggplot. I, I think Hadley Wickham changed ggplot 2 within about a month of the book coming out. And, you know, it had... Well, I think the, the big thing, he bought in themes and that made quite a lot of difference to uh, quite a lot of the code in the book but anyway that's by the by it's not mm. so much that it's more when when i so so when i did the r book there was i still predominantly used spss i would switch to r when there was something that i couldn't do in spss that i could only do in r so i had this sort of experience of kind of knowing a bit of r but not using it that much and then or not using it for a few months and then i'd forget everything that i'd learn about it and then i'd have to go back and learn again and I really, really wanted to learn it properly. And the best way to do that is to commit to writing a textbook on it. <laughs> because it's like, you know, you, you've got to learn it. So um, how do you go about so learning that, it? Well, you know, same way as anyone else, you know, spend your nights on the internet looking yeah. at stuff. Yeah, run it till you break it, Google the problem. Run it till you break it, Google the problem. Yeah. How, <laughs> many, how many how many programmers have told you that like 80 percent of their job is uh looking looking up stuff on uh stats exchange and you know Yeah, well I mean else. actually um I mean, oh, one of the, one of the fun things about uh doing the R book was uh going on the I can't remember what mailing list it is there's an R mailing list where some some of the people are just incredibly rude. So uh every so often you you you'd sort of you'd be looking something up and you'd find this thread where someone had you know some probably kind of you know humble really nice student somewhere had accidentally fallen into the bear trap you know they'd ask this question about something and this statistician had just waded in and torn them apart you know the bear had entered it'd be like you know just uh, just some of the responses are just unbelievably kind of bad mannered but that right. that was entertaining they, for me were they, I wasn't were they, were they wrong though <laughs> i mean bad bad mannered um, and wrong is is infinitely worse than bad mannered and annoyingly correct yeah i mean that you know they were it, it was more like they were rude in the sense of like you're a fucking idiot for asking this question which i think like you know that there's there's never any excuse for that it's nah, it's like you it's know a, uh, something is only easy when you know how to do it right so everyone has their domains of expertise and and any you know like yes i i know a bit about statistics i don't know anything about say foreign languages so i could sit on my high horse going oh well don't you know that about analyzing data and you know someone who speaks four languages can say well why can you only speak English, you fuckwit? Yeah. And you know your Sanskrit you know, is terrible, point, Andy, and it makes me judge you. 
so it, you know it, it's kind of it's it's rude in a way where i just think it's in it, it's there's there's no situation i can imagine where that is an excusable response to someone asking a question yeah. like even if you think like oh for goodness sake you know you still have to take a moment and think put yeah. yourself have a theory of mind you know maybe statisticians struggle with theory of mind i don't know it's entirely possible <laughs> sure someone's done a well, paper on there somewhere it's it also look what 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 form does your resource take what what is it supposed to be what is the utility of what you're trying to do well we're trying to help people uh i have a basic question not you we're not helping <laughs> you you asked it in well, the wrong that's the other thing, isn't it it's like don't if if you don't like people asking questions don't don't subscribe to a mailing list just get off it yeah, if it's making you that much. unhappy to read people's questions you don't have to do it uh, look some people some people like being right more than they like helping uh, even in in formats where they're you know we're, we're making a commitment to disseminate this knowledge to the world unless we don't like the look of you in which case you're a prick <laughs> is um yeah it's that's not how you win you know, we want more people in the tent. We want more interest. We want more toolboxes. We want to write more resources. We want to get people in. We're going to have to... When, where do they start out? Ah, oh, well, of course, they all start out with the exa- advanced shit. They do not. <laughs> so, you know, you want, to, you want to build a community, build a community. If you want to yell at people, um, there's a great corner down here where the addicts hang out. That, that, I mean, you, can, you could slot right in. You don't need any training. If you just need to scream at people in the street, yeah, come to Alston. They're both thinking about it now. (laughs) That seems a lot easier than what I was doing earlier today. (laughs) Well, uh, um, we don't want to take up too much more of your time, Andy, but before you you wrap up for the episode... That's um, that's code for James has lost it, isn't it? I can see his eyes have just gone somewhere. Well, um, I, 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 we, we do want to, we do like asking our asking our guests some some questions um, around. Yeah, um, around, let's get the questions out. So, um, so Andy, we wanted to ask you, um, what is something uh, sort of academia or stats related that you believe that others think is crazy? Um, I think I'd go back to the earlier thing of I, I don't think people should be allowed to analyze their own data, apart from me, obviously. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know whether anyone else would actually think that's crazy or not. Uh, but but I, I think that's that's kind of an idea where I think a lot of people might think like, you know, don't be silly. I, I know enough to do what I need to do. And for, you know, with a few exceptions, I think that's probably not the case. And I, I just think there's a, you know, I have it because I do both. I analyze my data for my own stuff and I analyze other people's data. I you know from personal experience i find it a lot easier to be brutally objective about other people's data when you literally don't give a crap yeah how the results pan out mm. yeah it, 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 it didn't it work really is easier sorry yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're sobbing in your office like, the, the numbers don't lie yeah exactly <laughs> right I've um, never had anyone sob in my office. And and, um, and, and second, um, what is uh, one book or paper that you would recommend um, that everyone should read? <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm going to say, right? <laughs> something, something that you may not have, something you haven't published yourself. Oh, oh that's harder. Um, I really, really, really rate uh, Richard McElrath's book, uh, Statistical Rethinking or rethinking statistics I, I always get the two words the wrong way around 
I think it's statistical rethinking. We'll, we'll, um, is it's a fantastic hmm. book. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll and if you if you if it's wrong, thinking, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might you might want to check the name as well. I'm not great with name. Hang on, I've got it here. Uh, da, 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 da. Statistical rethinking. I've just found it under my desk where I. I like to caress it every <laughs> evening as I work. Nice. Erotic statistical oh, yes, rethinking. I have seen a lot of people um, post that book uh, on the um, on the Twitters saying how, how amazing oh, it yeah. is. Um, yeah, it's just if you want to get into like learning Bayesian stuff, um, it's just a fantastic book. It really is very clear, very well written. And his... He's he he's when I was saying earlier on about people writing rappers for uh, Stan, uh, there is a rapper attached to this book, and uh, it's really it makes the process very. I hesitate to say easy, but you know it's, uh, it's as easy as it can be. Well, it's, so it's, it's guided it's at that point, I suppose. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And uh, and we know that you've uh, you listened to the podcast or, or you've listened to a few episodes. Um, so wondering, yeah. uh, who else do you who, who else would you love to hear as a guest? <laughs> who, who should we who should we invite? Who would be like? Oh, I'd love. Yeah, to and you to can it. you can dob them in on air because uh, that gives us more leverage to twist their arm. Yeah, yeah game big. Um, former President Barack Obama. No, we can't have him. Who else? He wrote a paper. Like the, one of the last things he did um, when he was president was he wrote a paper for like Lancet. Imagine being the editor. Sorry, rejected. <laughs> yeah. Where 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 do I address the preprint? Oh wait, I know your address. <laughs> yeah. Small world. Um. I'm, so I'm I'm struggling a bit to think of people that I haven't already had conversations with. You know, where I couldn't just email them anyway and ask them stuff probably richard statistical rethinking guy okay i don't know i don't know him i've never had any contact with it yeah, i follow him on twitter I, I keep trying to get some kind of commission for plugging his book yeah. and he keeps igno- <laughs> ignoring all my tweets so uh get him on and find out where my paycheck is yeah we'll chase that up <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks don't, for, don't, um... don't 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 cut it off don't cut it off i ought to do i ought I... to do one more minute seeing as being we're here i've got to be totally self-indulgent um, Go. I'm going to say five or six bands and you tell me what you think of them in 10 seconds and we'll find out whether or not we're spiritually connected. Okay, that sounds okay. good. Ready? Sounds Ready. like the kind of intellectual pursuit I can actually do. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Um, Judas Priest. Uh, yeah, love them. Lamb of God. <laughs> Did you want more than that? No, that's more fine. Love them. That's fine. I just sort of cover cover sort of a a, a, a smearing over the genre. Uh, okay, let's go. Let, uh, fa- 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 let's go for favorite album of Judas Priest. For me, it's Defenders of the Faith. Painkiller. You're yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm young. What are you gonna do? Uh, what about Lamb of God? Uh, I liked them up until... I, I don't not like them. I got a bit bored with them. I thought Ashes of the Wake was, at the time, an absolutely phenomenal album, and I was starting to get a bit bored with them by about Wrath. And I kind of think their records are getting a bit samey. That was wow. more than 10 words. Yeah, no, 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 that's, that's, that's perfectly right. Uh, Mastodon. Uh, love them. Seen them loads of times. Uh... Favorite albums probably Leviathan or Blood Mountain. 
Uh, wasn't that keen on The Hunter. I think the new record's really good. There you go. Rock and roll. Fantastic right. drummer. Uh, yeah. Um, what about something really weird? What about uh, Artificial Brain? Never heard of him. Fair enough. Oh, that's a real <laughs> Flesh, Flesh God, Flesh God Apocalypse. They already came up. Um, I haven't heard a lot of them. They, I know loads of people rave about them, and I, I think I would probably like them. Maybe that they might be a bit too symphonic for me. I'm not they sure. Are extremely symphonic. But I, do, I, you know, I like a lot of black loud. metal. Sorry. Oh, they. <laughs> I like a lot of black metal. So ah, I know that okay. they have a. All right, I'll flip this round for the last one. Favorite recent black metal band? Last 10 years. Um, favorite recent black metal band? I I don't... Yeah, well, so how, how precious are we going to get about the definition of black metal? Not even slightly. Okay, probably Wolves in the Throne Room. Nice! Ah, uh, yeah. For anyone who's listening, don't don't go and listen to that band. It's horrible but in a very good way oh no no hang on what am i talking about death spell omega death spell omega by a mile ah that's a shame i was very excited that in... someone someone who someone who wasn't me or my friend ball james <laughs> knew who wolves in the goddamn throne room are. <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean like seriously they'd be so um celestial lineage is probably one of my top t- in my top 10 albums of all time mm. uh so but uh Omega's I'm can't I'm, I'm going to pronounce it horribly uh, Paracletus is probably top 5 There you go Absolutely unbelievable There you are Dan that's how you ask final questions they all have to be about obscure <laughs> heavy metal bands yeah, yeah, now every now the, everyone uh, the, that isn't me and Andy's board we can go playlist <laughs> <laughs> Well thanks for uh, thanks for joining us uh Andy uh we uh, we appreciate your time and, uh, no worries. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the episode, listeners, and we will be back with another episode very, very soon. Bye for now. Bye.
There are people who are supposed to be world-leading experts on psychological theory and whatever it is they're researching. And on top of that, on top of that immensely time-consuming and intellectual pursuit, they are also supposed to be expert statisticians, world-leading statisticians, up on all the current methods, able to implement them and understand them and know when they're making sensible decisions. And I, I think that that's a huge problem. Get up, back in there. 